This is Blinkers, a Vespucci story. Written by Harmon Leon and narrated by me, Carter Bellamy. It's a fictional story based on real events. The hippies have invaded this Vegas parking lot. Between brightly painted tour buses, they've erected a makeshift village called Shakedown Street. And it's a spectacle almost as wild as the show they're here to see. A man in a top hat passes Connor McKay, calling out that he's got acid and ganja cakes. He gives Connor the nod of a fellow hustler. The deadheads all know Connor. A clean-cut, fast-talking teenager with a thick Mississippi accent. He's as much a fixture on Shakedown Street as hash brownies, tarot cards, and nitrous oxide tanks. He's worked over a thousand Grateful Dead shows. And what he sells is the most important part of this freak ecosystem. Can you help me get a ticket? I need a ticket. My buddy's looking for a ticket. The children of Jerry Garcia follow Connor around. Only he can make the impossible a reality. He can get them in to a sold-out show. A kid with glazed eyes says he has more gratitude than Connor will ever know, handing over a pile of cash. The kid asks who he is, an angel? Connor smirks and says he's the Blinker King. Go to any dead show, he says. They'll know me. They'll know who I am. You're not a king, says the kid. You're a god. That's how the deadheads think of Connor, as a deity who can conjure a counterfeit as perfect as the real thing. They're called blinkers, and touring with the dead is a dream for anyone in the blinker game. Every show is sold out. It's general admission, and people will do anything to get in. Here in Vegas, deadheads are trading anything and everything for some blinkers. A dreadlocked man with a walking stick tells him to take his girlfriend into the Volkswagen, do whatever he wants, just give him some tickets. To Connor, these hippies are insane. His whole career is built around criminal activity, but his life is not. He has a newborn daughter back home and a wife named Ashley. They got married last year when they turned 17. Connor doesn't even like the dead. Endless jams that go nowhere. All he cares about is the money. When he left for Vegas, Ashley reminded him of the house payment that's due at the end of the month. They just moved in, and he knows how important that house is to her. It's a sign to her rich parents that maybe she didn't marry such a loser after all. But there's something else, a deeper connection, that he's only beginning to understand. When Ashley moves through those rooms, it's like she's looking into the future. This is where the Christmas tree will go. This is the doorframe they'll use to keep track of their daughter's height. This is where they'll spend the rest of their lives. But that means money. Just yesterday, Connor arrived in Vegas and got busy printing 500 tickets. Then he brought in a crew of seven, and each guy was given blinkers to sell for 200 bucks a pop. The usual price for a dead show? $30. Connor's take will be tens of thousands. After he pays off his bosses, that is. I'm making your dreams come true, Connor says, bestowing tickets on another jubilant deadhead. Times are changing on Shakedown Street. In 1987, the Grateful Dead scored a hit with Touch of Grey, transforming their crowd from a small, eclectic clique to a mainstream MTV horde. Flash forward to 95, and tickets are hard to get. 
opening the floodgates to the Blinker King. Connor's tickets might be counterfeit, and they might be expensive, but he tells himself that at least he's not gouging fans like Ticketmaster, the greedy monopoly whose only concern is to line its pocketbook. The Grateful Dead never used to work with Ticketmaster, but when they went mainstream, the demand became overwhelming, and Ticketmaster sensed its chance. They sat down with the dead and brokered a deal. Like everybody else, Connor hates Ticketmaster, and Ticketmaster hates him. The company is always trying to bust counterfeiters, but Connor's crew has a secret weapon. One of his bosses has a girlfriend who actually works for Ticketmaster, and she provides the crew with legitimate blank stock from the company. The day before each show, Connor meets up with his bosses in a hotel room. They huddle around their printing machine and watch it spin blank stock into blinkers worth hundreds of dollars apiece. Other ticket counterfeiters don't take pride in their work. When you rub their blinkers, the ink smears. But Connor believes in karma and wouldn't want any bad energy coming back on that beautiful new house. His blinkers are always pristine. Now, his backpack is almost bursting with cash. It's time to call it quits. As he heads out of the parking lot, he selects a young hippie couple at random and hands them his last pair of blinkers. Just a little bit of good karma to end his night on Shakedown Street. The hotel room reeks of Hennessy and blunts, and it throbs with a deafening techno. Connor is here to settle up with Chance and Scarface, his bosses in the blinker game. Both are a good 20 years older. Scarface is from the Bronx, 6 foot 3 and almost 300 pounds. He got his name as a kid when a boiler blew up in his face. Meanwhile, Chance looks like that supermodel Fabio, who's plastered on the cover of every Harlequin romance. Only, this Fabio has got about 200 P.O. boxes and a phone book of fake aliases for pulling off credit card scams. Tonight, Chance is especially happy to be counting the money. He's got a little extra coming. I got you, kid. I got you, he says. Just last week, Connor was driving with Chance after a dead show in Eugene, Oregon. A football game was on the radio, and to pass the time, they started making bets on touchdowns, rushing yards, fumble recoveries, everything. Chance got on a roll, and by the time they got back to California, Connor had blown all his blinker cash and owed his boss seven grand. Only later did he find out that the game was a rebroadcast and Chance already knew the outcome. Now Connor stands there like an idiot as he watches Chance count the money. His money. That's how I teach you, Chance says. I taught you everything. You wouldn't know the first thing about the blinker game if it weren't for me. Connor keeps quiet. On some level, he knows Chance is right. He remembers meeting him and Scarface outside Anaheim Stadium, where a 14-year-old Connor was doing a tidy little business, considering the unsophisticated quality of his blinkers. Chance was impressed. He approached the kid and asked if he wanted to make some real money. Connor said yes and never looked back. But the truth is that At the age of 14, he was already a well-seasoned hustler. He'd grown up poor in Mississippi, raised by a single mom in a trailer without running water. He had had to bathe next to cows in a stream, and always smelled like it. He had to learn to survive. When he was 10, his mom moved him to Orange County, California, and by 12, he had a racket selling mistletoe outside shopping malls for five bucks a bag. On his very first day, he sold 250 of them. When Christmas came around, he made sure there were plenty of presents under the family tree. It was the first time he'd seen something like that, 
It was a dream he'd made happen for himself. Soon he tracked down a crooked printer who could manufacture Disneyland tickets. Connor paid him for a thousand tickets and sold them for 30 bucks a pop. Anytime he wanted, he could go to Disneyland and make 500 bucks in 10 minutes selling blinkers in the back of the line. By high school, he was making more than his teachers, and he dropped out as soon as he could. In the Vegas Hotel, Chance counts out Connor's reduced cut, and Scarface offers him a hit of the blunt. He shakes his head. He just wants the money. Don't blow it all in one place, says Chance. Connor goes back to his room and throws the cash on the bed. It's a beautiful thing. Stacks and stacks. 50,000 Gs. In the face of all this cash, something as boring as a house payment seems incredibly remote. He jumps on the bed and rolls in the cash, dizzy with the possibilities. Then he sweeps it all into a bag, gathers his seven-man blinker crew into his room, and asks who wants to hit the casinos. They take tabs of X and jump into a limo and head for the strip. Connor starts popping bottles of Cristal, 700 bucks a piece, and laughing as they spray across the upholstery. Where are you guys going? Says the limo driver. Connor says the flamingo. He's got money to burn. The anticipation is so intense, it's like they can't even wait for the casino. A member of his crew takes out a quarter and asks Connor if he wants to make a bet on the flip. Heads or tails for a thousand bucks. Tails! 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 Connor says. The kid flips the quarter and slaps it on his wrist. It's tails. Now everyone wants a piece of the action. As the driver bends the limo towards the flamingo, quarters are flying around the back and cash is changing hands with a cool grand on every toss. Tails! Connor shouts. It's always tails! It's heads. There goes another thousand. He doubles down and bets again. These teenagers are so engrossed in the game, they don't even notice they've stopped outside the flamingo. The driver lowers the divider and tells them they're here, but Connor just lost another thousand and orders him to park. The limo lurches away from the entrance and the driver finds a place in the alley. Heads, Connor yells. It's tails. What do you say, man? Connor asks the driver. Heads or tails? The driver says it's always tails. The quarter flips. It's tails. Connor laughs and tells the driver to get in the back with them. Another bottle of Cristal pops, and in a few minutes, the driver is deep into the game. The guy has an uncanny knack for guessing right. In no time, he's got a pyramid of bills between his legs. Connor asks the driver for his secret. Just dumb luck, he says, raking in another thousand. Connor bets him double or nothing on the next flip. You're on, says the driver, the quarter poised on his thumb. Heads or tails? Connor peers at the coin, as if he's looking into the deepest mysteries of the universe. Suddenly, the answer is obvious. Heads. The coin flips. It's tails. They go double or nothing again and again, and before anyone realizes it, the wasted desert sun has dawned over the alley. It's morning, and the driver is sitting on all the money. They never even made it into the casino. Connor lets out a flat, scornful laugh, then orders the driver to take them home. There's always next weekend, he tells himself. Another dead show. More blinkers. He wakes up in an empty bed. In the stark daylight, he isn't so casual about last night. 50k. Vanished. All on flipping quarters. He stares at himself in the bathroom mirror. 
What the hell was he thinking? What kind of man is he looking at? The phone rings. It can only be one person. His wife Ashley asks how the show went. Bad news, Connor says. Ticketmaster busted my crew and the cops took all the cash. I'm stranded out here. There's no answer. He knows Ashley isn't buying it. She can see right through him when he's being fake. She didn't like the idea of a Vegas trip, doubting he'd be able to spend a night in the city without blowing everything. He's an Aries, she likes to say. They're impulsive as hell. Aries and gambling don't mix well. When they met in high school, Connor was already making enough to have his own apartment. On weekends, this kid from a trailer park would use his blinker money to throw blowout parties and rent entire movie theaters to impress the kids from the rich side of town. Ashley was one of those kids. The most beautiful, most sophisticated, and most coveted one of those kids. Connor worked hard to let her know that he wasn't trailer trash. For junior prom, he hired a helicopter to fly the two of them to Catalina Island. That's the last prom he ever went to before dropping out. She fell for him. They got married on her 17th birthday, and her parents cut her off. She didn't care. She and Connor were a perfect team, Aries and Gemini. Before the baby arrived, she'd hustle right alongside him and became the ideal accomplice. Working the parking lot of dead shows, she'd keep all the tickets and money in her little backpack. No one ever suspected this pretty, well-spoken girl was a part of an elaborate counterfeiting scheme. And she loved the lifestyle, staying at the best hotels, eating gourmet food, drinking the finest wines, just rolling in cash. But when the baby came, everything changed. They bought the house, and Ashley stays with the baby while Connor is away for weeks. Being apart so much is putting a strain on their marriage, and Connor's gambling doesn't help. It used to just seem part of the lifestyle, a necessary work hazard with so much cash floating around. But now that they have a family, the stakes are bigger than both of them. I knew something like this would happen, she says. What about the house? Okay, you got me, he says. I blew it all. Nothing I can do about it now. She tells him he's 18. He's not a cute kid anymore. If he ever got busted, he'd be tried as an adult. He'd be thrown in prison. The argument goes back and forth. It's becoming routine. And in the end, as always, she wires him the money for a flight. It's from a little stash she keeps for times like these. But as she counts off the money, she sees that the stash is getting low, and wonders if Connor knows just how thin their margin for error really is. On the flight home, Connor turns Ashley's words over in his mind. He knows she's right. She's always right. He's 18, he's a father, he's got the house to think about. Something has to change. The minute he gets back to Orange County, he sits her down and makes a promise. No more gambling, only business. She hugs him, the baby in her arms between them. It's a moment of family serenity, the kind of scene Connor used to wish for back in that trailer in Mississippi. While Ashley cooks dinner, he steps outside for a cigarette. He feels peaceful, the smoke passing through his lips and emptying into the soft California afternoon. He looks back at the house with pride. Everything he needs is right there. This is real life. Then the peace is shattered. The Mercedes S600 comes prowling up the block. It's Big Mike. The bookie leans his huge shaved head out the window and says that he's come to collect. Connor can spend all night flipping quarters for cash, but his true love is betting on sports. He's put 10,000 or more on every football game since he was 14. Bookies love him, because no matter how much he's down, Connor always tries to get it back on Monday Night Football. 
but lately his picks are getting him nowhere. It's like the players are messing with him. And every Tuesday he owes Big Mike 50 grand. Connor might have made Ashley a promise, but that doesn't mean there aren't old debts to pay. Connor says he doesn't have it. What do you want me to do? You know me, I make money. He says he'll get it by next weekend. Big Mike lights a cigarette and blows the smoke in Connor's face. Don't talk bullshit with me, he says. You don't want me coming back here. Your family definitely doesn't. The Mercedes rolls away. Connor goes inside. Ashley sees the look on his face and asks who that was. Connor puts on a phony smile and says it was just a friend. He's bought himself a week. It's slowly happening. Ticketmaster has introduced barcodes. The problem with barcodes? They're impossible to counterfeit. When he shows up at Madison Square Garden in New York, he sees booths set up outside to verify if tickets are legit. Normally, he'd just walk away. He's always told himself he's moral, that he doesn't jeopardize his customers. It's definitely bad karma to sell blinkers that won't work. But now he's got Big Mike to worry about. So he adopts a fake confidence and strides through Shakedown Street, selling tickets left and right. It doesn't take long for deadheads to start getting popped for bogus tickets. Connor keeps cool, but he's hurrying up, trying to sell the last of his stack so he can get the hell out of there. Ashley's warning about the feds has psyched him out. Everywhere he looks, he sees an undercover cop. What about that guy with the headband? Or the woman in the halter top? Is she undercover? And the dude blowing bubbles with the furry hat? Why does he keep looking over here? A bearded guy in a Jerry Garcia shirt comes out of nowhere and says he needs a ticket. Something isn't right. His bosses once told him you can spot a fed by their shoes. They dress like any other deadhead, but if their shoes are too new, they're definitely fuzz. And this guy's shoes were way too new. Come on, the guy says. I saw you selling some tickets. Help me out. Connor says he doesn't know what he's talking about, and quickly jumps into a porta potty and locks the door. He tries to calm down, think rationally, make a plan. He can only be arrested if they find tickets and cash, otherwise they've got nothing on him. Without a second thought, he throws his last remaining blinkers into the black hole of the toilet. But what about the money? There's 40k in his backpack. Connor spots the porta potty trash can. He grabs the garbage bag, dumps it out, and pours the cash inside. Then he ties it up, lifts the fixture securing the toilet seat, and tosses the bag with a splash into the brown brimming refuse below. The bag doesn't sink, so he stomps on it, gagging with the smell, until it's fully submerged. At least he knows where the cash will be waiting for him. As he heads down Shakedown Street, he feels lighter. The evidence is gone. The feds think they're clever, but he's always a step ahead. That's why he's the goddamn blinker king. Suddenly, someone taps him on the shoulder, and he wheels around to see the guy with the nice-looking shoes. Hey, the guy says, I found my miracle. That dude blowing bubbles gave me a ticket. The guy runs off toward the garden. Connor stands there in shock. It wasn't a fed. He was just a deadhead with decent shoes. His mind goes to the money. He needs to retrieve it fast, then get out of here. Karma, karma, karma. No wonder he's gone paranoid. He's broken his own code. He rushes back to the porta potty and yanks the handle on the door. It doesn't open. He pounds on it and shouts that it's an emergency. Portly guy in tie-dye finally emerges. He adjusts his belt and says Connor should wait to go in. Connor dives inside and almost slips. Puke is everywhere. 
He buries his nose in the crick of his arm and reaches into the murky depths. Nothing. It must be deeper. He submerges his arm up to his shoulder and swirls it around the waist. He feels the top of something and reaches even deeper. He's going to need two hands. He reaches down, his head under the seat. Vomit surges up his throat. He swallows it back. He's got the garbage bag. He pulls it out, dripping brownish green, and tears it open. The money's still there. He dumps the cash into his backpack and pushes through the door into the open air, looking and smelling like a kid who bathes with cows. That's when he comes face to face with a group of furious hippies. Hey, one of them says, that's the guy who sold us the fakes. You're a predator, man. You're the lowest of the low. Someone swings his skateboard at Connor's head. He bolts. People stop and stare at this shit-covered teen as he's chased by a mob of freaks down the streets of Manhattan. He runs into the subway, the hippies in hot pursuit, then hurdles a turnstile and dives onto the train just as the doors close. The subway rattles through the tunnels as he sits alone, everyone else packed into the other end of the car. And after all that, he still needs another 10000 But it's okay, he tells himself. There's another dead show tomorrow. There's always another show. The following night, Connor hits the parking lot in East Rutherford, New Jersey. He spent about three hours in the shower last night and is ready to hustle for the cash he needs. But something strange is happening on Shakedown Street. No one is asking for a ticket. Instead, the deadheads are sobbing. There's a candlelight vigil. Hippies are hugging. What the hell is going on? People gather in a circle, swaying together and chanting, You know our love will not fade away. Connor catches bits of conversation. I'm more numb than anything else. He was a visionary. A woman passes out roses and hands one to Connor. He asks her what's going on, and she says Jerry died. The unthinkable has happened. Jerry Garcia, the lead singer of The Grateful Dead, has had a massive heart attack. It's a catastrophe. Not because Connor likes Jerry's music, but because his death means the long, strange trip is done. The easy money is over. No more shows. As he realizes the enormity of what's happened, Connor finds himself crying in the middle of Shakedown Street. A hippie comes over and hugs him and says it'll be okay. Connor looks up at him and wails, Our ride is over! I know, the hippie says, holding him close. I know. On his way back to the hotel, Connor's pager goes off. It's Chance, his boss, calls him back. Get your punk ass to Gainesville, Chance says. Connor's bosses are already one step ahead. Forget the Grateful Dead. The next big thing in blinkers? Drag racing. And the granddaddy of all drag racing events is the U.S. Grand Prix in Gainesville, Florida. It's a sold-out, three-day event with over 400,000 race car fans, all needing tickets. The payoff could be in the hundreds of thousands. But there's a setback. Bad news, Chance says on the phone. His girlfriend split. So what, Connor says. So she's not getting us any more ticket stock, Chance says. We're out. You gotta get some more. Connor is about to ask how the hell he should do that, but Chance has already hung up. Connor stares at the wall, thinking hard. There's always a solution. Then he does what he always does when he hits a dead end. He calls Ashley. You know, I've been thinking, 
she says when he tells her about Jerry's death. Why don't you just walk away? And do what? He asks. What about the house? But to his surprise, Ashley says, forget the house. We only need the three of us. How about Mexico or somewhere in the Caribbean? It's like a curtain has opened in his mind, and behind it is this beautiful picture. Ashley under the palms, the baby sucking on a coconut. It's like heaven. But he's still got Big Mike to worry about. When he doesn't answer, Ashley says, fine. She has an idea for the tickets after all. Ticketmaster has outlets everywhere, she says. Even greeting card stores print their tickets. She tells him to try a gift shop. Just be careful. You read your horoscope today? He says no. Think before you act, she says. It's not a good day for rash decisions. He follows her instructions. First, he buys a cheap suit at Goodwill, then heads to a Spencer's Gifts in Midtown Manhattan. Pimply Teen is behind the counter reading the village voice. Connor says he's here with Ticketmaster. They've been getting complaints that the shop's machine is smearing the ink. He's here to do an inspection. The kid nods and yawns and opens the drawer. Connor's mouth almost waters as he sees the bricks. About 15,000 blank tickets, worth their weight in gold. He clears his throat and says that sometimes the ticket stock goes bad. He gestures at the bricks. I'll take these defectives and bring you some new stock this afternoon. The kid's interest finally perks up. He says he'll have to get the manager's approval. Connor says, sure, no problem. The kid gets on the phone. Connor watches the Mickey Mouse clock above the counter, listening as the kid mutters something to his manager about a weirdo in a cheap suit. Connor can tell it isn't working. He's not even good at being fake. It might be rash, but there's no other choice. He snatches the bricks and runs from the store. His feet clap the pavement, and he's about to escape into Penn Station when a security guard tackles him to the ground, and the tickets rain down like confetti. It's just petty theft, but still, it means a night in jail. Connor's no stranger to being arrested, and after a few hours, thinking he's about to be released, he's taken into an interview room. The cops who booked him are sitting at the table. But in the corner, there's another man, a stern father-figure type in horn-rimmed glasses. He's sitting cross-legged with a coffee mug and a large manila folder, and he keeps clicking the pen in his hand. It's Ticketmaster. Turns out they've been tracking Connor and his crew around the country via the serial numbers on the stolen ticket stock. Those numbers have been popping up at box offices from coast to coast. Ticketmaster rep opens the folder and starts showing Connor photos of himself hustling blinkers on every shakedown street in America. You must think ripping off Ticketmaster is a victimless crime says the rep. You come to our concerts and exploit people who need tickets. You prey on their passion for music and charge them outrageous prices. People like you should be locked away. The words sink into Connor's mind. He's thinking of Ashley and the baby. He'd give anything to be back home with them. The California light coming through the open windows. He can't live his life in a cage. It's like the rep can see behind his eyes. Don't worry, son, he says. There's a way out of this. We know you're just small time. We know there's people above you. The rep holds out his hand. Ticketmaster wants to make a deal. The parking lot outside the Grand Prix is a patriotic bizarro world of Shakedown Street, packed with muscle cars, Confederate flags, and Budweiser. 
Mullets and sleeveless t-shirts abound as Tim McGraw blasts through every truck window. Yesterday, Connor met up with Chance and Scarface in their suite at the Hilton Hotel. Chance was already drunk and weirdly on edge. He asked Connor if he'd got the ticket stock. Connor tossed the bricks on the bed, and the trio got to work. As the printer magically transformed bits of useless cardboard into money, Connor looked at Chance and Scarface. In a crazy way, they're the closest thing to a father that he's ever had. Okay, punk, Chance said. Time to crush it. Now that the dead shows are a bust, Chance and Scarface will also work the parking lot so they can cut down the size of their crew and maximize profits. Before heading out, Chance handed Connor a bundle of blinkers and said, You want to put a G down on who sells more tickets? I taught your ass everything you know. Watch and learn. Connor takes the bet. He knows this is one debt he'll never have to pay. Now, in the parking lot of the Grand Prix, a man in a Valvoline t-shirt passes Connor, calling out that he's got beer hats and earplugs. He gives Connor the nod of a fellow hustler. But these aren't hippies. These are good old boys who came to see speed and fire. They've been drinking Jack and Coke all day in the Florida sun. They're wearing Bud Light boxes for hats. They'd rather flash a gun than trade their women for tickets. Hey, asshole, I'm looking for a ticket. You the guy with the tickets? Hey, boy, give me a ticket. The clientele has changed, but cash is cash, and Connor's backpack is already filling up. After an hour, he's got enough to pay back Big Mike three times over, if he could only walk away right now. Suddenly, Scarface comes lumbering through the crowd, knocking people over as he goes. His lungs heaving, he tells Connor that Chance got busted. Someone set them up. They gotta get out of here. Connor hesitates. Yo, Scarface says, come on, what's the matter with you? When Connor doesn't move, Scarface runs off alone. In another second, a cop sweeps by in pursuit. Connor rushes through the crowd to where the fans have made a clearing. That's where Chance is lying on the ground. A cop is kneeling on his back while another spreads his blinkers on the hot asphalt. Exactly what Ticketmaster wanted. Chance is hoisted to his feet, and Connor makes eye contact with his boss. There's a flicker of confusion. Why isn't Connor running away? Connor turns his back and hurries into the crowd. His instructions are to report to a checkpoint near the entrance after the bust is over. Ticketmaster needs him as a witness. That's the deal. He might have escaped jail time, but he's a fraud for the rest of his life. Then suddenly he looks around. No one's watching. His backpack is full. A picture opens in his mind. Ashley and the baby under the palms. They could have a whole new life somewhere. No more lies, no more scams, nothing phony. He doesn't have much time. He keeps his head down, threading through the crowd. With the cops at the checkpoint, there's only one escape. Into the grandstands. All he has to do is get in. He takes out one of his blinkers and looks at it, really studying it for the first time in his life. Is it good enough? Is it real? He approaches the stadium. His hand trembles as he steps to the gate and holds out his ticket. You've been listening to Paperless, an audio magazine by Vespucci. <laughs>